John chapter 6, and I'll read from a couple of different versions. We're reading from the King James Bible here in verse 3. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. The Passover, or Feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come unto him. He turned to Philip. When shall we buy bread that they may eat? Verse 6. And this he said to prove him. For he himself knew what he would do. I read that same verse in the NIV. He asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. And I preached for a little while. My pursuit. His provision. And everybody said amen. Now turn to someone close and just say something of significance to them. And just say, I'm so glad I'm with you. You're such a wonderful person. So I know that was literal, didn't it? You did. <laughs> Thank you. At two years old, I did not know how to adequately put soap on a piece of cloth. But my godmother, Rako McCauley, taught me. At seven years old, I, I didn't know that electricity wasn't free. I know now. At 10 years old, I didn't know that we were poor. I figured that out later. At 14 years old, I was certain that my mother and my father didn't know very much. At 18, I wasn't sure what I would become. At 27, I didn't know anything about marriage. That's why I still go to the marriage retreat. At 32 years old, I didn't have any idea of what a baby would do to my life. I found out. At 40 years old, I didn't understand yet the pressure of a $2 million church mortgage. But the late night hours and the two o'clock in the morning sweat beads and all of those demonic forces and a handful of negative people taught me that. At 51 years old, I'm still finding things that I don't know, but I'm finding out. <laughs> trivia can only teach so much in fact trivia can help even the most carnal men about Bible and about life but only the Holy Spirit can teach us the inside story the principles Jesus called it the spirit of truth. The words of Jesus, his power, his movements, what he did, they're not all written down. Not everything that Jesus did is written in the Bible. In fact, most of what he did is not there. John chapter 21 verse 25 says, There are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. God is the author of the Bible, but there are many writers he chose to deliver his word. The first 
four books of the New Testament are often called the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they saw the works and the wonder of Jesus Christ. But they were also given insight by the Spirit to write what has been written and we read it. And the Scripture tells us that we are now built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Jesus, he did many miracles and they, they wrote about it. Some of them were retold by two of the writers, maybe Matthew and Mark, maybe John and, and Luke. Some of the miracles found that Jesus did were found in only one of the Gospels. It was a viewpoint from a couple of different angles. Matthew saw Jesus. He wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost about Jesus. And Mark saw the Lord, his life. And he wrote of the same scene, but maybe from a different angle. Luke and John the same. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, all scripture is, by given, is given by inspiration of God. All of it was God-breathed. Second Peter, the prophecy, the word, came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God wrote. They spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all joined in the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They all saw him. They all wrote of him. So many things, so many wonders. None of us can imagine all of those moments, but we are given just a glimpse into the things that were lived out in real time. Are you with me now? But there's only one miracle found in all four Gospels. That traverse all four writers. Only one common miracle that each of these men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, wrote about. And I've read it to you today. I've been searching for that for a long time. And while at this age I don't know everything, I finally found the greater context of the only miracle that graces the pages of all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was the miracle when Jesus broke bread, divided and multiplied loaves and fishes to 5,000 men, not including women and children, which could easily have been fifteen to 20,000 people. God wanted us to know something. He wanted to give us every angle possible to see this particular miracle so that we could grow. The conclusion has to be my pursuit of him. Looking back, it's always been me pursuing him, and I can only do it through obedience. Pursuing him by faith, believing in him, seeing in Jesus through the eyes of trust and a life of submission, that's how we pursue the Lord. Here are the words, whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says, do it. Don't ever erase scriptures or think it's not relevant to you. Whatever he says, do it. Those are the words of Mary, the mother of Jesus. When they're in a, a wedding ceremony and they've run out of wine and she turns to those men and says, whatever he says, do it. Those are the words of Mary. And she gives them to a band of disjointed servants who are ordered to pour water from one jug, one pot to another. Water. It's nonsense to the natural mind. It's ignorance to the learned man. But Jesus commands us and we do what we are supposed to do so that he will do what only he can do. It's our pursuit, whatever he says to it. Then comes our physical acts of obedience and afterwards comes his spiritual power that you cannot fathom. Let's do that again. I do what I'm supposed to do so he can do what I cannot do. Watch this now. <clears throat> the Lord is not going to step over my disobedience and defy his word so he can do his work. He's not going to do his work in my life despite me. My obedience is the open door for his power. In Malachi chapter 3, when you give, he opens up the windows of heaven. Your obedience opens up windows and pours you out a blessing that you cannot contain. The Bible says if you give, 
Men will give back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over will men give to you. It's your obedience that leads to God's supernatural power. My submission is not his power. But it unlocks the built-in provisions of his mighty hand. When we become submissive, he becomes the powerful God that he always has been. He already has in mind what he's going to do. He already has it in mind what he wants to do in your life. He's waiting on you to provide the obedience. How are we doing so far? Kind of bland, huh? Don't worry, I'm getting to you. Now, I didn't read that in the book. That took 51 years to figure out, and I'm still learning it. 5,000 men, not including women and children, they're all hungry. Jesus has something in mind. And the lessons of the only miracle found in all four Gospels begins with this. He doesn't tell us what he has in mind until we are willing to be obedient and do what he says to do. You won't understand it all right now because, watch this, true obedience has nothing to do with you understanding. <laughs> oh, uncomfortable. You obey and you don't get to ask, well, now just tell me why and I'll do it. I, I love these sweet people who always say, well, Pastor, if you just give me a reason... I'll do it. How about the Lord tells you to pour water from that jug into that jug, from that pot to that pot? Well, I'm going to solve your problem right here. Here's, I'm going to solve your problem. I'm going to put mud on your eyeballs and you go wash. Mm. Tell me the healing qualities of mud and I'll do it. Here, here's the prophet. You give me something to eat first. And then God's going to take care of you. And she says, the widow woman says, all I got left is a little bit of meal and a little oil. I got enough for one small cake. Me and my son, we eat, we die. And the prophet says, that's, that's nice. You give it to me. How about that for a pastor? Listen, I know you're struggling. I know you can't pay all your bills. I know you don't have a lot of food. But I'll tell you what, if you'll just give me your last zucchini. You bring it to the church, you give it to me, and then God's going to take care of it. Who's in? Mm -hmm. Oh, we love to talk about the Bible. How about being obedient before you have any understanding? Because see, obedience is absence. Absent of our knowledge. Uh, I'm digging because I know I'm right in your heart. You need to be obedient. The best thing you could ever do is be obedient to the word of God and to the call of God and to the voice of God. He already has in mind what he wants to do. You don't even know what he has in mind. In fact, when you leave this life, eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard. It hasn't even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them. No one could even get a glimpse of heaven. The best we have is John's small purview. The second thing I found out was that when God created the earth and the heavens and the earth, the galaxies, all the things that fit in, he spoke them into existence. He spoke something from nothing. But in this life, now he uses what we bring to him. I feel like I'm teaching a lesson here, but we just have to do it. See, God turned to Moses and Moses said, you know, I don't think I can lead these people and I don't have any tools. I don't have, I don't have anything. I don't have, I don't, I don't have what the prophets had. I don't have all this stuff. And God said, well, Moses, what do you have in your hand? What's in your hand? The Bible says. And Moses said, well, I, ha I have this rod. It's a dried up stick. It's, it, it's for the sheep. And God said, I'll use the rod. Hear me. Any old stick will do as long as God's in it. God is not asking you to take on the characteristics or the giftings of another person in this house. You already have the gift that God's given you so that you can have a powerful ministry and serve the Lord. It's already in your hand. Hear me. Any old stick, any old pumpkin pie, any old sewing machine, any old pamphlet, any old car, anything you've got. If God's in it, it will prevail and he'll do wonders through everything in your hand. 
You don't have to have a microphone for God to use you. You don't have to have a pulpit. You don't have to have a platform. Whatever you have in your hand, if God is in it, And, and the Lord said, well, what do we have? What, what, what do we have? What is it that you have? They're hungry. Well, what do you have? Here's Matthew. Matthew's going to give us the atmosphere. Because the story is always surrounded by other things. It's not just the feeding of the 5,000 plus. There was a context, because there's always a context. To every miracle, to every provision, to everything that God does, there's a context to it. And the context was, we find this out, not all, the, not all the gospel writers are going to give us the full context, but you put them together, you have the full context of what's happening. What happened was, the cousin of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, has just been beheaded. He was killed for the cause of Jesus Christ. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Herodias' daughter, she has demanded the head of John the Baptist. And they severed his head and brought his head on a silver platter before her. And Jesus will groan at it. Because he knows the cost associated with being called. And that's why Jesus departed to wilderness place alone and his disciples. But of course, he couldn't get away from the people because they were hungry. They wanted to follow him. They wanted to learn of him. The context is that Jesus was groaning in his spirit. Matthew 14 and 12, we find out that the disciples of John the Baptist took his body. They didn't have his head. They took his body and they buried the body of Jesus Christ. And that's when the multitude followed the Lord. And that's when he did the miracle. And the end of the miracle of Matthew's account ends with this. Fragments remained. And then John stepped forward. I read from John today. John is the one who reveals the source of the lunch, the fish and the loaves. It came from a young boy whose mother prepared the meal. She didn't send him out into this world alone, but she prepared something for him. And the boy was found by Andrew. Andrew, the bridge, the consummate problem solver. Andrew, he's the brother of Peter. Andrew, who introduced Peter to Jesus. Who said, come on, you gotta, you gotta meet the Lord and said to Jesus, Jesus, you'll love my brother Peter. Andrew is always connecting people to Jesus. He's the junction box. He's, Andrew is, is finding the lunch. He's always somebody who says, listen, I know we can solve, I know there's a problem. We can solve it. Man, I know he's a cusser. I know he's vile, but he's my brother. And if you ever turn him, Jesus, if you ever turn him around, he'll be the greatest vocal box. He'll be the oracle for you. And sure enough, Peter stood up at the 11 and Peter preached the first, first message on the day of Pentecost. Andrew is the one connecting them. And I feel bad for Thomas. Thomas is always called Doubting Thomas. He only doubted one time. He was only a skeptic one time. And the reason why is because he was late for, he was late for church. Jesus walked through a wall. Man, if you've seen Jesus walk through a wall, you wouldn't have to touch his hands and his feet and his holes. But everyone else saw Jesus walk through a wall, so they didn't question who he was. The last time Thomas saw Jesus, his face was so marred up, he didn't even look like a man. He was, he was beaten and, and he was scarred. The Bible says his visage was so marred, he lost all humanity. So when so when Thomas saw Jesus, he just had to make sure this was the one. Now, Thomas wasn't really the doubter, doubting one. It was Philip. Philip was always a skeptic. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. Then we'll be satisfied. And Jesus said, Philip, have I been so long time with you and you haven't seen me? When you see me, you've seen the Father. Because Jesus was telling Philip, I'm the express image of the Father. The only image of the Father you're ever going to see is me. It's Philip. That Jesus asked the question to. Uh, do we have enough food? We have money to buy bread? Do we, can, can you? Philip is saying, I don't even know. In fact, Philip answers, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. That even everyone could just take a little crumb. That's all we've got. We have 200 penny worth of... It. We don't have enough money. He's skeptic. He don't believe anything. Jesus asked that question to prove Philip. Because he already had in mind 
Because you think and I think, well, I'm, I'm not sufficient. I can't really do that. I, I don't know if I can do it. And he's only asking the question, not because he wants an answer from you so you can use your logical mind. How am I going to figure out? He already knew the answer before he asked the question. <laughs> and John ends with this statement. Fragments. Pick up the fragments. And then Mark and Luke, they present something even different from Matthew and John. Their account of the feeding of the 5,000 presents order. See, Jesus told them, have all the people sit down by companies or groups of 50s, some by hundreds. See, before the provision could be given, there had to be structure, order, organization, which translates into peace. Because disorder always brings guilt. Watch me. A disordered life is a life that results in guilt. And guilt is the tool to keep you out of the presence of the Lord. Guilt was passed off to the scapegoat in the Old Testament. The high priest put his bloody hand on the scapegoat, on the goat, and they called it a scapegoat and released it because guilt could never pass through the veil into the Holy of Holies. That's why the prodigal son had to be accepted as a son and not as a servant because guilt is the end result of a life of sin. But the father removed the guilt when he said, no, 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 no son's coming back in. No, no servant's coming back, just a son. Let's have a party. Mark and Luke also end with fragments. All of it has fragments. All the miracles and wonders have something remaining. And Jesus doesn't want anyone to be left behind or lost. So he says in all four Gospels, we're going to pick up the fragments because fragments are always present. Fragmented lives and marriages and fragmented homes and children and fragmented dreams and hopes. The command to the church is always pick up and gather up everything that is lost so that no one is left behind. Here's Matthew and Mark. They're presenting order. Sit them all by, by 50s. Make sure there's order. Because we want the provision. But our pursuit has got to be order and discipline of life. Now we don't think this is spiritual. But it's very spiritual. We don't always think that this is of God. But it's always of God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the living temple of the Lord. And the way you treat your temple is the way you treat your God. And here we go. I want you to have the miracle. I'm going to pray for you. I am. But whatever you put in your body... If you, if you disobey God's word, then you, you're asking God to step over his word to heal you. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time with Dr. Hughes. He's a phenomenal man, Dr. Hughes. is a fun, He's been here many times. He's a teacher, but he's also a licensed counselor. And he's an architect, too, and many other things. <clears throat> He's built many buildings. He's counseled over 10,000 couples. He has seen some of the most horrific things. It's, it's, it's cut away the softness of him. To hear the grotesqueness of life. Those people who work in that profession, it cuts away a lot of the softness. Because they read through the superfluity and the image of people's lives to find out there's, there's lies and rejections and abuse. He said to me, a few years ago, he related the story. He said to me, some people believe that they can cast out devils, but there are no devils that exist. It's the way they treat their bodies. Their lives are disorderly. A pastor called him and said, you've got to fly to my city. You've got to help a couple, one of my best couples in my church. And she is struggling with devils. She is seeing demonic things. 
and it's been going on now for a whole day. Can you do an emergency trip? Her husband, her husband is frantic. She's now saying she wants to leave him. And Dr. Hughes walked into that office and sat down with this couple and the pastor. And this woman started to say all these things she was seeing and the spirits that she was looking at and all kinds of things. And Dr. Hughes let her talk for 45 minutes, never opened up his mouth. And at the end, he turned to the husband and he said, when was the last time your wife slept? To which they replied, well, we've been trying to raise money so our girls can go to the youth convention. She's been up over 72 hours straight. Dr. Hughes said, you go down to the pharmacy. You get, you get over the counter the, the strongest sleeping medication you can get. You put your wife in the bed, give her all that medication, and let her sleep. And 12, 14 hours later, she was restored and came back to her right mind because sleep deprivation caused her to see things that did not exist. It wasn't the devil. It was out-of-order living. Oh, I've seen the devil. No, you didn't. You have not slept for 72 hours. I'm struggling in my body. No, you've been pouring thousands of pounds of sugar my kids need prayer. No, they don't. They need less cereal. Oh, you don't want to. You want the provision? Get down in order. Set 50 by order. Put it in order. Yes, there are always going to be fragments. There's always going to be people. There's always a big setting. There's always something that's happening in context. But I've come here to tell you, God is not going to step over his word to produce a miracle for you when your life is not in order. Okay, Lord, I purposely want to live disobedience, but I need you to help me. Now, I'm not going to give anything in the offering. I'm not going to give any tithing, but I'll tell you what, Lord, I'm really struggling. I can't pay my bill. I'll tell you the reason why is because the windows of heaven have been closed in your life, and they've been closed for a long time because you counted the cost and said, we can't afford to give our tithing. I want to tell you, you cannot afford to withhold it. God will sanctify the things that you have left in your hands. Let me just tell you, practical holiness is not what you put on. Practical holiness is how you live. Uh We had a lady back home who was praying in her bedroom and she saw things in the corners of her bedroom. And then she would go to church and she would think of people. We found out later... She would think of folks and she would see people in the church and she was praying for them, but she saw horrible things and she'd go around the church. She was a spiritual lady. She'd go around the church and she'd tell folks about it. And people were very disturbed. They started interceding for their lives and praying and were trying to fix themselves. But come to find out, this lady who was a great teacher and a spiritual lady, she was having many strokes. It wasn't a spiritual thing. It was many strokes. She really needed some blood thinner. When she got on her medication, she stopped seeing all that stuff. It was an easy medication, but, but her body, her brain was flashing. That synapsis process, you know, right? One neuron jumps to another neuron. Come on, everybody. The process of those energy pulses of those neurons jumping around, well, they were interrupted. And so while she was praying, she was seeing things that didn't exist. And then she was telling everybody all of her spiritual things. They weren't spiritual. She was just short a couple of medication pills and a little bit of a diet change. And we'll pray for the healing and the miracle, but I'll tell you what you really have to do. Change your lifestyle and get in order. Here's the order to life. Love God. Read the word every day. Pray every day. Come to church every day. Go to Peace University is about order. It's not about you getting rich. It's about you being in order. I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to take this thing because I got something in mind. I'm going to break this. this, I'm going to tear this fish. I'm going to pass it out. I'm going to break the bread. Whatever it is, I'm going to pass it out. Come on now. get, Get your basket ready. Okay. Here. Here, tucking them in here. Maybe he put it in a little bag. Here, kept on taking out. Taking them like a magician. Boom, boom. 50, 50 are fed. Another 50 are fed. Another 50. Get all the baskets. Wave his hand. Boom, they're all filled with fish and bread. It's incredible. How was he going to do that? He said, We're not gonna, I'm not going to do my miracle in chaos. I won't do my miracle in chaos. Order comes before the miracle. Order comes before the miracle. Do you want to have... Why are we praying for all of these marriages? Why? Get in order. 
Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You die for her. Ladies, be submissive to your husbands in the Lord for this is right. That's order. As Brother Lejeune said, it, it doesn't say, men, make your wives submissive. That's not on you, men. You love your wife as Christ loved the church. And you are submissive to your head. And she'll be submissive to you. Hear me, men. You want, you want to have a happy home? You get in this house. You worship God with all of your heart. You commit your, your, your path to God. You commit all your life to God. And your wife will be so glad because she'll feel secure that you're not running around looking at things, having affairs, and have no control, and you're not autonomous. It's called order. I want you to have the provision. I want you to be healed. I want you to have the miracle. But I'm tired of praying for people for the miracle, but the life is a disorder, and you want God to be the fix-it man. He's not your on-call plumber. Well, you know, we really need a plumber, but stop throwing that stuff down the sink. It's all clogged up. Stop throwing it down the sink. I didn't know this. I le- See, I'm learning this. Eggshells are not supposed to go down the sink. They don't have the biodegradable substance to go down the sink. Pastor, pray for me. We've got a $500 bill from the plumber. Why? I don't know. It's the devil. No, it's not the devil. Satan can't even think of all the stuff you've been doing. He'd like to think. Hear me. There is spiritual warfare. There are spiritual things that have to happen. We have to cast out devils and take dominion over every principality and power. But let's just leave that in the spiritual world and let's get our physical life in order. We'll deal with the spirit world, but we got to deal with ourselves. Oh, come on now. I want you to be fed. There's a miracle in this house. Let's just put it into context. I've got to get my mind and my time in order. I've got to be in discipline. I've got to be accountable. I can't throw things away. Is it too practical for you now? Is this too practical? Did you did you want to hear about the about the woman who 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 came to Jesus and and her daughter was vexed with a terrible spirit and and the Lord he kind of dismissed the Syrophoenician woman and said, "Just listen, I'm not giving you this bread. This is a powerful bread. It's meant for it's meant for the Jews only. I didn't come for you." And he was just kind of testing her out, and she she cried out the more she kept coming after him and saying, "Even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table." Let me just tell you her 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 order of her life. The order was in her persistence. She was going to pursue the Lord, and she pursued him with a sweet spirit. She ordered her own disposition. I'll tell you why I'm angry. They made me mad. I'm going to tell you why I live this way. Because I'm German. Dear God, every ethnicity has some horrible... The Italians had Mussolini. I don't know what the Irish had, but they were bad too. I don't know where you come from, but stop looking back and say, now the reason why I don't really, this, here's the reason why I'm out of, because you know, my grandpappy on my mother's side, his best friend's wife, their cousin, they did something and it just it carried down to me. I'm going to tell you right now, you can break any chain because the blood of Jesus can break any chain. Stop blaming everybody because you can't get to church. What? Watch it. You can go anywhere you want to go. Guess what I found out? When we cancel church because there's, there's a foot of snow or, or a sheet of ice, guess how many people are at Walmart? Filled up. In fact, one of the guys that was stocking the shelves at Walmart said, this is a terrible storm, but look at this place. Show me pictures. Everyone's scrambling because, you know, it's like the apocalypse. Everyone's buying things you don't need. Even two or three years ago, my brother said, Jeffrey, I, was, I, went, I, went, to, I went to the store, the grocery store, because they said this massive storm. He said, I just thought maybe I should go. All the meat was gone except one big roast beef. He said, we didn't need it, but I thought, I'll buy it anyway. Just bought it anyway. Why? I don't know. The bread kind of... We don't even eat that kind of bread, but you better buy it. It's the last one left. You go wherever you want to go. You do whatever you want to do. 
We can't make you happy enough to come to church. Either you want this or you don't want it. Either you want the Lord, you run after Him. If you're denied, guess what? You command your own attitude. You, you decide your own sweetness or how bitter you are. we got to get it in order. I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to get ourselves in order and follow him through obedience and submission so he can, we can open up the door and he'll pour out a power and the power is going to be overwhelming and everybody is going to be fed and there's going to be things left over. Uh, uh, lost my handkerchief. Ah, I found it, I found it, I found it, I found it. Too many pockets. I'm going to sew up all these pockets. See, we can take a good measurement of your spiritual walk with God by what's in the back seat floorboard. And the date on a ketchup bottle, the back part of the second shelf of your refrigerator. Your basement and your garage. I wanted to hear about spiritual things. I come to church, I don't want to hear about how to organize my closet with totes. I'm going to tell you something. You know why we keep buying stuff? We don't even know what we have. That's why my dad has 22 tape measures. Which is what we're going to receive in our inheritance when he passes away. And I said to dad, dad, I count, I got all the tape measures, I'm a count of 22. And he said, well, yeah, you know, I was working, I couldn't find that one, I was working, I couldn't find that one. Over the years, I just kept buying some. Do they work? Yeah, most of them work. This is what I'm going to pass down to my children. Five and one quarter tape measure. Whatever, seven and one quarter, whatever it is. I'm going to pass it down to my kids. Here's tape measures. Now, why did I have to go buy another $20 tape measure? I'll tell you why. Because I'm more organized. And when the missionary time comes around, which I, I was going to raise a missionary offering, I needed to raise a missionary offering. I've already got committed up to $1,000 missionary offering. I need to raise some more money because a missionary is... We, we need to get to a missionary. We, we didn't get to... Whoa. The reason why you bought all that stuff is because you couldn't find the other stuff that you have in the first place because your house is out of order. And when your physical house is out of order, chances are your spiritual house is out of order. Because you don't turn on spirituality like this. You live for God the way you live for yourself. In fact, the, in fact the, the truth is, as Jesus said, no one hurt their own body. Because you're good to yourself before you're good to anybody. You're very good to yourself. And the way we live our daily lives in this world is how we live for God in this world. How are we doing? How many people did you text? How much time do you spend on Facebook? How many times, how, how much time do you spend on, on Instagram or whatever the sites are? I don't even really like to call out the sites because now they say Facebook is for older people. I'm just, I'm just learning what Facebook is. I don't even have it. I was thinking about it the other day because I found out some people are on Facebook just to troll. That means you just get on Facebook, you never post anything, you just, you're kind of nosy, you just watch what everyone else is doing. <clears throat> that way you have something to talk about when you call your best friend. Did you know? And all of those dummies who think they can just take down whatever they post on Facebook, people take snapshots of that. Then they just pass it around. Because once you type it in, you release it, the world knows, everybody knows. We can tell your marriage is in trouble because you post it to every, for everybody. I didn't never read a post. I need God because I'm struggling in my relationship. If you post or you put the answer for marriage, if it's not yes or 18 years or five years, if, if the word is complicated, we know you're in trouble. You're out of order. I'm going to tell you, you're out of order. Men, when you dog out your wives in front of everybody, you're out of order. Ladies, when you pour mouth your husbands in front of your other friends, you're out of order. When you talk bad about everybody, you're out of order. When you're blowing all your money on the lottery, you're out of order. 
You don't give to a missionary, but you'll spend 10, 15, 20% of your paycheck scratching off cards, hoping you'll be a multi-million dollar winner. Nobody won yet here. One of our friends for Christmas, I probably shouldn't say this. I feel a check, but... <laughs> All right, let's move on. Okay, okay, okay. For a nominal fee, I'll tell you. One of our ministry friends sent us two lottery tickets. We were, first year of our marriage, we, we opened up the Christmas presents, two lottery tickets. I said, what should we do? We don't believe in the lottery. We don't play the lottery. And Tammy said to me, because she was more carnal back then. <laughs> She got the Holy Ghost. <laughs> just let me go on, Tammy. Just, just let me go on. We scratched off those suckers and we won one dollar. We won a dollar. And we said, what should we do with this dollar? And we immediately went to the gas station. We cashed in. We traded in on another one. And then we lost our dollar. I have lost a dollar. That's the last dollar I'm going to lose on the scratch-off lottery tickets. I'm going to tell you, if you want to live for God and you want to give, a, give to the Lord, hear me, we need a sanctuary. We're going to build a sanctuary, but we're not going to build it unless the people are involved in giving. That means you can't play the lottery. I want you to get an order, but if you're not following the Lord and the Word, whatever He says, do it. Whatever he says, do it. So I'll tell you what. We're going to have a miracle Sunday. We're going to have a miracle Sunday. I'll tell you how it's going to start. We're going to sit down and we're going to get our stuff in order. We're going to get our, we're going to get our life in order. How are you going to do that? Go to Grease Monkey and get your oil changed. That way, we don't have to feel bad and raise the money because your motor locked up because you haven't changed your oil in a whole year and your engine is suffering, crying out, grinding. And you think it's the devil and the devil's all against you. The devil's attacking you. The devil's not attacking you. You're, you're giving the devil credit for things he never thought of. Pray for me, Master. How old is that car? Three years old. It's just a lemon. No, it's not. That's a beautiful car. You get over there, you change that oil. Is that spiritual? I don't know, but it's going to result in something spiritual. And you clean it. And when your friend buys a new car, and you get in, you smell the leather. Oh. My dad taught me this. I bought a new car in 1993. It was a Nissan Altima. A little Nissan Altima. Had leather interior. My mom and dad never had a car with leather interior. I pulled it into the garage. It was around Christmas time. I pulled it into the garage. We all went out. Me and mom and dad and I think Dana was there too. We, we got in the car. We just sat in the car with it off. And mom just rubbed her hand on the leather. And she said, oh, Bill, can we get one of these? Look at this. $15,000 car. You get in the car, you smell it, and you say, man, I, I got I to gotta have one of those. No, you don't. I'll tell you what you do. You go over to Ed Detail's shop. Ed Wells, he's sitting over there. And for 100 bucks, he'll make that thing smell like you can even have fabric seats. He can put leather smell on your fabric seats. And for $100, you can save yourselves years of paying interest. And then you can give and you don't have to worry about what someone else is driving. If you got a new truck out here, praise God, I'm happy for you. I hope I get to borrow it. If you got a new car, a new sports car, and you have a, you have a convertible, praise God. Wait till summer. Let's go cruising. I'll get a hat or something and we'll go cruising down. But God forbid, if you're looking around at somebody and say, I got to do that, I got to do that, forget what everyone else is doing. You got to get yourself in order. They might have that because they have their life in order. Here's what I want. I want freedom in the Holy Ghost. I want us to stop praising and shouting God, trying to get victory over things we could have solved on Monday and on Tuesday. And when we get in here, we need to pray spiritual prayers so that addictions can be broken and every yoke can come down and spiritual strongholds can be defeated. We cannot waste time praying for things that we can control.
here's the message there are people that are hungry we might have had some trouble but they are following us so the Lord showed us even though I've lost my cousin and he was killed for the cause I still I want to retreat for a little bit but people need me they need you so let's get them together let's teach them and when they get hungry let's feed them he already has in mind what he wants to do we just got to get ourselves in order I'm two quarters of the way from being done. If you reduce it, I'm halfway. If, if you multiply it times pi, Jesus, never mind. Here's what the Lord did. He's on his way. He pauses because a woman touches him. She grabs the zit zit, the hem of his garment, the, the covenant. The Bible says virtue flowed out of him, healed the woman who had an issue of blood 12 years, but he was on his way to the house of Jairus to heal his daughter. She's dying. While he is interrupted, a servant from the house of Jairus comes and says, Don't bother the Lord. Your daughter has died. But the Lord persists because what they don't know yet is that he is not just the healer. He's the resurrection and the life. They don't know that. Can I just say something to you? You have no idea who he really is. At your most profound moment, he's greater than that. As much as we can cumulatively gather, cumulatively gather together, he's greater than all of that. We're only just, our knowledge of him is only just a fraction. It's a, it's a small grain of sand juxtaposed against the magnificent galaxy of stars. He comes to the house. She is dead. See, in those days when people died, they had people that would come in and mourn. We would, we would even say that they were professional people. They were mourners. Some might be affiliated with the family, but other people were just part of the community. They would come in, and maybe the intent was good, I don't know, but they would mourn and cry, weep with the father and the mother, or with the son and daughter, whoever died. When Jesus came in, he just took with him a couple of disciples. Not everybody went. He's going to manage this miracle, as he always does. He brings... Peter, James, and John inside with him, the house. Now, it could also be practical because there wasn't enough room. Those homes were small. And the mourners were there, and the little girl is laying breathless. And he's about to perform the miracle when he says to them, the girl is not dead, she's just sleeping. This is an interesting thought because they are very well Prepared. They're knowledgeable about death. They've seen it many times. Of course, we could too. You know, lips turn blue, no breath. I've never been confused about a person who has passed away. <laughs> Jesus says, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And the next line of the Bible says, and they laughed him to scorn. Look at this guy. He doesn't know anything. Their laughter is, is laced with doubt, skepticism, and, and belittling of the incarnate God. Now, Jesus has compassion on everyone, but he's not, he's not going to perform his miracle with everyone present. So, here's what the Lord did. He put them all out of the room and kept Peter, James, and John, Jarius, his wife, and the lifeless frame of the girl. And he speaks out of his mouth, Talithakumai, which being interpreted, Daughter, I say to thee, arise. You see, before the miracle, there had to be order. God wants to do a miracle in this church so profound watch it if you don't command your attitude and you are skeptic and doubting 
always criticizing, hurting the body. He will put you out so that there can be a miracle. He will separate you because his desire is to have a miracle. He won't perform the miracle when we are in disorder and full of skepticism, negativity, and doubt. (laughs) And here it is today. I believe that God wants to orchestrate a powerful thing in our lives. I think that God knows what he wants to do, but we got to go home and purge our homes. We can't feel guilt-free. We're going to come in with guilt. If we use cuss words in our daily life, we're not going to be able to lift up our hands without wrath and doubting. If we use our hands against our spouses, this is not a country club. It's not a place where we come to find out where you're going to lunch afterwards. This is the house of the Most High God. This is the place where corporate worship takes place. You want to you have a powerful miracle in your life? Jobs, careers, funds. How about this one? Peace, contentment, joy. Your pursuit is the thing that you can do. Obedience. Loving God. I'm going to be at church. I'm going to love the Lord. I'm going to witness to everyone I know. I'm going to put my house in order. I'm going to put my finances in order. I'm going to sit down with a budget. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to get all the, I'm going to get a big trash can. I'm going to throw away all this junk. I have not used that in years. It's clogging up my life. People are buying new houses to put their stuff in. People are, I don't know who's doing this, so just take it for the Lord or just whatever. I'm, I'm embarrassed that we're spending hundreds of dollars a month on storage facilities. Because our houses can't contain all the junk and the prized possessions that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, Can I tell you that there's enough spiritual darkness, demonic forces, without us adding to that conflict? There are real spiritual battles. There's real spiritual battles. When it's in the negative degree temperatures, a little bit of wisdom would tell you, don't go outside. But when you got ill, sick, or had a car crash, and you say, I've tried to live for God, but my but look what happened. No, it's because you forgot. You didn't grow up in the Arctic. You're not a polar bear. And you might have some excess. But you're not a walrus. They're not fat. They got blubber. <laughs> I'm preaching today. Woo. I can, I can just hear the saints going down the aisle. MCL, man, pastor was preaching the word today. I'll take pumpkin pie and a cheesecake. <laughs> Because we're not thinking with our heads and our minds. And we're saying, oh, you know, I've got problems in my life. Listen, God can do something powerful that you can't do. But he's requiring you to do what you can't do. Oh. You didn't get fired because your boss is an atheist. You got fired because you yelled at him. You got fired because you came in late ten times at work. And now the church is struggling. We're trying, well, what should we do? Well, what should we do? Well, they, they, they lost their job. They're going to lose everything. They're going to lose. Why? Because they got a bad attitude. 
because they don't want anyone telling them what to do. Because they don't want anyone dictating what they do. Because it's someone else's fault. It's always someone else's fault. I want to say to all the congregation today, grow up. Grow up. You're a man. You're a woman. Take charge of your life. If you want to be here, you can be here. If you don't want to be here, you don't have to be here. Don't tell me that Sunday morning is the only time you can ever come to church. I know, what, I know what's going on. There's a program on TV. Now, now, you know, Pastor, we always like the Super Bowl. So what about the Super Bowl? Who cares about the Super Bowl? Nobody even scored any points at the Super Bowl. You wasted what? Watching nothing. You watched nothing. You ate a bunch of Doritos. Now you're ready to go swimming. <laughs> what happened to you? What happened? And you missed that powerful worship service that happened on Super Bowl night. You missed it. For what did you miss it for? What are you missing the presence of God for? I'll tell you what. Because you didn't pursue him. If you'll pursue him, you get to open up a door. He gets to pour out blessings you can't contain. He gets to pour out his power and healing and miracles you can't contain. You want you to stand right now and say... God, you can do what I cannot do, but I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. No one knows the unlimited, omnipotent hand of the Most High God. None of us can fathom how powerful He is and what He can do. He can call things out of nothing. He can give you health and life right now. He can give you everything that you'd ever want for if you'll seek Him first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and then all these things shall be added added unto you. You pursue God and He'll pursue you. I'm praying for a little boy who's been severely abused and he's struggling. Oh, he's struggling. Because of his abuse, hasn't even reached the age of 12. Because of his abuse, he's cruel to animals. He takes out anger. He doesn't have the mental aptitude. He doesn't have the acuteness to understand what's happened to him. So so he'll lash out. At the same time, he'll cry. He's tender and he's angry. He's, he's precious and he's bitter. He's, been, he's got fear and he's got rage. He's broken and he's hard all at the same time. There's got to be a spiritual intervention and a practical intervention. But the best that I can do right now is just intercede for him. For the last three months, I've been interceding and praying for him. I can't get his, his mind at the altar. I can't get his, his face out of my mind as he prayed at the altar. And I felt the wound of his spirit. And I prayed, oh God, you've got to do something here. And I plead the blood of Jesus. That's where my prayers ought to be. I'm, I ought not to have to waste time with people who are disordered because they don't want to live right and they want God to fix the disorderly life when all they had to do was live disciplined unto God hear me you don't want me to waste that prayer time on things you could have fixed on Monday you want me to pray that God would exercise his power over things that no one can fix you want to bring that sickness before God and say I don't know how it happened pastor but I've got a cancer that cannot be healed by the doctors and we lay hands on you and we're focused on that and the blood of Jesus covers your body Let me tell you, husbands, love your wives. Love them because you choose to love them. Because you made a vow before God. And your vow is greater than how you feel. And wives, love your husbands. Because you made a vow by choice. By choice. And then live a disciplined life that protects the choice. Quench not the Holy Spirit. And quench not the Holy Spirit. And pursue holiness in the sight of God. Pursue holiness. Run after holiness. Live a holy lifestyle. It's the best lifestyle. 
Here, Pastor, now, I feel the Holy Ghost speak to me. And if you have an addiction of tobacco in any kind, pray that God would help you and that take every measure you can. Get some, get some gum that, that will help you. A patch, whatever you can do, because it's destroying your body. But don't let that keep you out of church. Don't let that guilt keep you out of church. Hear me. Don't let that keep you out of the house of God. But you work on every day getting your house in order. And if you don't struggle with that, you struggle with something else. Get yourself in order. Come on, get your house in order. Get your house in order. Come on, get your house in order. See, if you get God in the house, it's going to come to order. Where is God? Is he just in this building? Here's my last statement. The Ark of the Covenant was stolen when Saul was the king. The Philistines took it. His sons, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas died. The Ark is gone. It's misplaced. Saul never, Bible says Saul never pursued the Ark of the Covenant all the days of his monarchy. The Ark of the Covenant was at the Philistines' place, but they realized they couldn't handle it. They sent it away on a cart. That's all they knew. They, somehow they got to send it away on the cart. I don't know if they touched it or not. They might have picked it up. Can you imagine that the Ark was picked up by Philistines with their bare hands? Who knows? We don't have any Bible that says that, that it, they didn't just pick it up. But when one of the Israelites, Yuza, put his hand on it, he died. Guess what? The way you carry the Holy Ghost has a greater requirement than what the world does. The way you treat your body in the church and the Word because you're responsible for things they're not responsible for. You've been blood-bought. Stop looking around and say, well, why, why does, where do they got all that? Not, because God is bringing you something that's greater than what they have. And you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and filled with the Spirit of the Holy God. 20 years that Ark of the Covenant was gone. It was gone. And then finally David came into power. And David was anointed to be king long before he became king. And he finally ascended to the throne. He said, there's something missing. We have a tent. We have all of the items, but we don't have the Ark of the Covenant. And he went to find the Ark of the Covenant. He went to, he went to Abinadab's house to get the Ark of the Covenant. But the last memory of anyone transporting the ark was on a cart that's the last memory they had was the philistines i'm almost done just give me three minutes so david thought maybe that's how you get it they put it on a cart it was on a cart it might have been on the same cart who knows they put the oxen in front of the cart and the oxen think of the oxen the oxen what are the oxen doing? They're trained to thresh wheat. See, they didn't have a wheat thresher, so they would put the oxen on top of a, a flat rock and teach them how to stomp. And they would thresh the wheat, and as the wheat was being threshed, then they would take, and they'd always do this on a high place, like a high mountain, and they'd take the, the wheat and they'd throw it up, and the wind would blow away the chaff, and the heavy grain would fall back down. See? That's why it was so unusual for Gideon to try to thresh wheat in a wine press. There's no air, no wind. It's futile. When you try to thresh wheat without wind, you never get the chaff out. And David got the, the Ark of the Covenant from Abinadab's a house and Abinadab's son, Yuza. He's nonchalant because it's been around a long time. He's familiar with the Ark. He don't really care. He's got that familiarity because he don't think it's precious. He doesn't know. They got to a threshing floor. And what did those oxen do? They started to stomp and the ark shook. And my best intellectual answer is that they were doing what they were taught to do. Paused at a threshing floor and stomped. The ark is going to tip over. And in his carnal humanity, Yuza said, Yuza said, I'll fix this. Hear me. Don't touch the things of the church. Some things need to fall down. You'll get hurt trying to fix everything that you think is wrong in the church. And it may be wrong. He died on the spot and David is aghast. Oh, what have I done? My good intentions. God, did you see how good I was trying to do? As if our good intentions matter to God. He cares more about his word than your good intentions. Oh, 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 oh. 
Because we have a society now. I just, listen, I love the Lord. That's good enough. No, it's not. Follow the Bible. The Bible says come to church. Hebrews 10.25. This is, this is a hard one, Elder. So David said, let's just put it somewhere. We can't go another step because obviously we don't know what God wants and we don't know what God said. So they go to a house. There's no reason why they went to Obedidim's house except that it was the closest house. The kids are screaming. Mrs. Obi. Come on, Star Wars. They've all, they've all read the Bible. Obi-Wan Kenobi. They got it from Obedidim. I know they did. Obi-Wan, Obi-2, Obi-Wan... I'll bet if you go back in maybe historical times, there's a Kenedim in there. Holy one Kenedim, whatever his name is. And so they open up the door, and there's David at the ark, and there's Obedidim. Hi, my name is David. I'm the king. This is the ark of the covenant. We'd like to leave it at your house. Chaos, disorder, undiscipline. It's horrible. Kids are screaming. Everyone's fighting. Jerry Springer is playing on the TV. As the world burns is on the other one or turns. <laughs> they get this glowing golden box and put it over in the corner and they turn off the other one. And the Bible says for three months, Obedidim's house was blessed. Everything he had was blessed. His home was blessed. His crops were blessed. His cattle started producing. His sheep started having little baby sheep. His family was in order because they got the Lord in their home. When you get the Lord in your home and you put order in your home, everything becomes blessed. Right now, we're going to make a commitment to be in order. We're going we're gonna to make a commitment to pursue through obedience and submission the Word of God. And if you'll just make that today... You can come to the front or you can lift your hands or whatever you want to do. But for a couple of minutes, would you just say, Lord, right now, here I am. As pastor's been preaching, I've been thinking of the things I got to get in order. I got to get right. Now, just for two minutes, I want us to pray and then you can leave. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.